The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Pete Sweeney, the Editor-in-Chief of ArrowheadPride.com, here with you on January 5th. It is the Chiefs playoff bye week. Once again, joined by my esteemed Deputy Editor, John Dixon, and a new guest today. We have one of our staff writers, Ron Kopp, on as well. John, I'll start with you. How is your playoff bye week going? I'm very happy. We're, we're first. We have a week off. Everything about this is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. When you get to the end of 16 games, yes. you could use a week that's a little bit more relaxed. We're not going to be yeah. completely off. Not like we can completely shut things off, but there is need for a break. And guess what? Then we're like the Chiefs, going to come back refreshed ready to go. Ron, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I changed my Twitter name to Playoff Ron because it's that time. So it's Playoff Ron time. I hope you perform as well as Sammy Watkins does in the playoffs. Can't promise that. That's for sure. Playoff Sammy's a different breed. So but you've already done really well in the regular season, see. So you're not even in that category. Right. So you can only fine. maybe do worse in the playoffs. So this right. isn't even right. really a fit that, or exactly. a good comparison. Yeah. <laughs> On today's show, we have some news to talk about with your Kansas City Chiefs when it comes to injuries out of that Week 17 game against the LA Chargers. We'll talk about some of the job interviews that Eric Bieniemy is going through, as well as the playoff probability for your Kansas City Chiefs. We'll take a quick break, and then Ron has done a great job in going over some of the possible AFC opponents the Chiefs may face. So we'll talk a little bit about each possible opponent for the Chiefs, and then John's favorite part of the week, of course, which is the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. But let's start here. Willie Gay, unfortunately, the one player, maybe, maybe the one player who you wouldn't want to see injured in this meaningless Week 17 game against the L.A. Chargers. It only took three snaps, and he reportedly, according to Sam McDowell of the Kansas City Star, has a high ankle sprain, which usually is two to four weeks of recovery. John, when you first heard this news, what was on your mind? Well, I was glad it wasn't a broken ankle. I'll, I'll go for that. But, you know, the high ankle sprain is such a question mark. It takes a variable amount of time to come back from those. And it could, in fact, encompass the whole off the whole postseason, which is right. potentially bad news for the Chiefs. And they are desperately thin at linebacker. And they've got guys who are on the COVID list or coming off of injuries. This is, uh, this is not the ideal situation at all. My problem with it, and this is what's so tough, I think, for Chiefs fans, is he was really finally starting to come into his own, in my opinion. It really felt like it was getting through to the coaching staff. We got to find a way to keep this guy on the field for more than like 15 to 18 snaps. He was supposed to get the bulk of the snaps in this Week 17 game, only ends up with three. Ron, what were you thinking when Willie Gay came out of the game? Well, like John said, the linebacker group in general is just so thin that you can't, even if Gay isn't a guy seeing you know as many snaps as we want on the field, we can't afford to lose him uh, in a depth role. And he was playing a lot more, as you said. 
But he was the starter in the base package. So now they're going to have to rely on Ben Neiman to go back to being the starter at Will, the Will linebacker, like he was at the beginning of the year. And he's dealing with a hamstring injury. So it just, it really does not make me feel good about how the defense fares in the playoffs. When you think about some of these opponents they're going to face can definitely take advantage of a weak linebacker group. Yeah. The good thing is that the chiefs have what will be two weeks off their feet. So presumably Willie Gay is going to rest. I don't see him available for the divisional round. You would hope by that point that Anthony Hitchens is back in the mix. So even if you're dealing with some of these backups, Hitchens, they call him the glue. That's what Steve Spagnuolo called him this year. So potentially he could be back in the mix off of the COVID list and suddenly you have your direction in order. So if you have to go with some guys maybe who aren't used to playing the linebacker position, say Neiman's not available and you have to roll with a guy like Adarius Harris, it did seem like, Damian Wilson should finally be fully healthy by the time you have to play again. So it is concerning, but you have some of these guys coming back and I think you have to really best case scenario. This is just my opinion. Best case scenario. You got to hope that Willie Gay is back by what would be the AFC title game. And who knows how well he could perform in there coming off the injury. Again, you got to win the divisional game first. We're in that territory too. So I don't want to get through this segment without saying that. I'm not trying to jinx anything here. Another injury that we'll be watching in the long term is the injury to DeAndre Baker, who fractured his femur. I admittedly did not know what the femur was when they said he fractured it as a big part of the <laughs> leg, like a thigh area, right? But Andy Reid, as optimistic as he could possibly be, he said that it was as clean a break as you could have where they were able to piece it back together really quickly. And John, the big news was that Baker was already back in the building on Monday. Well, you could kind of see this coming because I, and I think this is because of the injury that Alex Smith had. There's a point now where NFL trainers will go, okay, this is potentially a very bad injury. We shouldn't take this guy to the locker room. They put him in an ambulance and took him out of the stadium. That wasn't a, that wasn't the cart they normally use to take a player out of the, out down to the locker room. It was a fire department vehicle, although a glorified golf cart. But nonetheless, they were taking him to an ambulance, take him to a hospital. He had surgery Sunday night, yeah. uh, based on what Andy Reid said. So by Monday morning, uh, he was able to be on crutches and, and put a little weight on it and move around. That's a that's a terrific outcome from uh, such a serious injury, and it's just lucky for him that he didn't have the catastrophic injury like Smith had a couple of years ago. Yeah, and the thing that bothered me on this one is you could hear in Andy Reid's voice after the game just how disappointing it was for him to go through this injury because we don't know exactly what happened in New York and Florida with all the criminal charges and whatnot, but it really did seem like one way or another, he was around the wrong crowd. And it really felt like he was getting his life together in Kansas City at practice, working hard, working toward making the 53-man roster. When folks like Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofola were tweeting out that the Chiefs want this guy maybe for a playoff push, you can believe it. The Chiefs wanted this guy available for the playoffs. And Ron, I thought prior to the injury the other night, he looked pretty good. Yeah, and it, it sounded like Andy Reid agreed. He, he made the comment that he was playing well, and it even sounded like he was even talking in the long term in the future that uh, it sounds like Baker will definitely be back on the team next year. And you got, you got to feel good for the guy that at least, you know, he might have some, some security uh, knowing going through all this that he will be on, uh, you know, the same roster he was on now. He doesn't have to go through another process of getting on another team. So you feel good in that sense about uh, with Baker that he doesn't have, have to at least go through another offseason of not knowing if he's going to play, uh, knowing where he's going to be and all that. So. Right. And it's a, it's a fracture. So you would hope that he would be back by what would be training camp. Right. And you know, one of the things about this, if there's a silver lining to this thing, is that it makes it easier for the Chiefs to hang on to him. Coming out of the season on a practice squad, he won't have any additional leverage. If he comes in in the postseason and plays extremely well, he's a free agent on the day after the final Chiefs game. That's what happens with practice squad players. Right. Now, most of them are immediately signed to reserve futures contracts that extend through the offseason, through training camp. They have that opportunity to try and make the, the roster the next year. And in all probability, Baker would have been on that. But if he shows out 
in the postseason, makes a couple of interceptions and critical points in the games on national TV, his agent's phone is going to ring. And he might be in a position that after that last game of the season, let's hope it's the Super Bowl, right. uh, that he would have an opportunity to sign on with another team. But now that he's injured, that agent's phone isn't going to ring after the, the Chiefs' season is over. And the Chiefs can just offer him that reserve futures contract to an ex-practice squad player from 2020, and he'll sign it. And he'll have an opportunity to stay with the Chiefs because he's been injured. We've talked about it on this podcast before with the deals the Chiefs have in place now. They need things like this, players to become available like this in order to fill out their roster with quality talent, especially when it comes to the depth players. And he looked pretty good. And a break isn't necessarily a rupture or an ACL tear. I don't want to pretend to be our old pal Aaron Borgman right now. (laughs) But what I will say is I, I feel like you could probably get back to where you were a bit faster with a fracture than, again, the knee and structure damage. And so, yeah, I, I think there is a silver lining. The bad part is I think there was a scenario in which the Chiefs used him in the postseason. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> which, you know, when we talk about all these hypotheticals, the postseason always takes the cake as to what matters more. John, before we move on to what will be plucking season where – other teams are now starting to poke and prod. The Chiefs are trying to get their coaches and their personnel men. Want to give you the floor for a second on Darwin Thompson. This is probably an appearance that you were waiting for all season. How did you like <laughs> seeing Thompson excel not only in the run game, but the pass game? Uh, I was thrilled, honestly. As as we've discussed before uh, on the podcast, I've been a fan of Darwin Thompson's since the first time he spoke at training camp. You know, he wasn't bringing a lot to the table. You know, sixth round pick, undersized, played for a small school and only for a year, two years of junior college before that. So he had a really big hill to climb, but you just love the guy's attitude right from the start. He said the things that you want to hear players say. Uh, He clearly has the attitude, the determination to be a good player. And he's just been lacking opportunities. He's as as you've noted in your pieces this week, Pete. He's he's uh, uh, he's had a long struggle to get to a place that he can even get playing time. The Chiefs have had other players in front of him who were better, bigger, stronger, and in the opportunities he did have, he made a lot of mistakes. And really, I think for the, a lot of fans, thought this guy isn't isn't worth what we've got in him. He's not even worth a sixth round pick. But he showed on Sunday that given an opportunity to play a full game, that he could carry that load and also showed that some of the things that have been negatives for him in the past, like pass protection, he's improved at. So I thought it was terrific. I don't know if it means he'll be a chief after this season. He could end up being a guy that the Chiefs deal for draft picks or something. But whatever it is, his prospects as an NFL player have improved, and I think it's terrific because I think he's a great guy. What this game meant for me, in my mind, for Darwin, was a spot in the clown car. And what I, of course, mean is the clown car of running backs that Brett Veach (laughs) compiles each and every training camp. And I don't know if that was necessarily guaranteed with Darwin. A lot of times you'll see guys get a couple of years opportunity to prove themselves, and if they're not sticking, they're not sticking. Now I think he will be part of the 2021 training camp and let's see how he comes in if he continues to build upon his game maybe that's your one-two punch next year where you have Clyde and Darwin and maybe Daryl if things are working out your way thought it was good to see some real development and when you don't see a guy for as long as we didn't see Thompson you could really it's like when you have a baby cat you know like (laughs) all of a sudden what do they call them kittens All of a sudden you blink, all of a sudden you blink and that cat is huge, right? You really saw the progress of Darwin Thompson from what would be the last time we saw him when he was regularly being used last year to this effort where he actually looked to me like an NFL running back and a grown ass kitten for lack of better terms. Also, you have to tell the truth now, Pete. You've never really owned a cat, have you? No, my my girlfriend has them, <laughs> and that's why they were on top of mind. And so that that's where I came up with that comparison. All right, okay. Want to also mention a couple players here. 
And Ron, you can touch upon these. I thought Bo Pete Keys had a nice game. I thought that Tim Ward looked really good. And you wrote about this. Byron Pringle should maybe be getting consideration for the postseason. Yes, and I know uh, Maddie Lane, our guy Maddie Lane, has been has been uh, um, speaking is speaking it into existence as well. But I'm right there with him. I think Pringle is a guy that has earned more playing time, um, especially over guys like Demarcus Robinson, who hey he makes plays, but you see some of the the lack of ball security he has sometimes the uh, just the the off schedules things he does sometimes. It just you wish you'd have someone like Pringle who seems to be a pretty, uh, when he's in there, he's consistent. He, you know, he, he's, he's hard to tackle. He's going to hold that ball in tight and not fumble it. So I, I've always thought Pringle uh, should get more playing time, even if it's not completely replacing one of the receivers ahead of him. Just sprinkle him a little, a little more. Um, I think especially like the red zone when, you know, the, the windows get a little tighter. He's a guy that'll hold on to the ball and he's physical. He can get a few extra yards to get into the, the end zone if he's a few right. yards out. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed watching it. I, I kind of called it before the game. I'll toot my own horn um, that he'd have a good game. And he and I mentioned it in the article. He was a big direct uh, factor in every score. He caught the first touchdown. He set up the second touchdown, and then he set up the third touchdown with that the biggest play of the day that uh, four broken tackle run he had. So yeah, Byron Pringle had a great game. Yeah, I certainly agree. And on Pringle, and to me, it's simple. How many times and how many occasions have we said, "Man, why did D. Rob drop that ball?" Or we enter a big game during the regular season and said, man, Sammy Watkins is injured again. And it just seems like anytime Pringle gets an opportunity, he plays well. And so I, I think at some point you just have to see and play him for a few games in a regular position. That sees a lot of snaps at wide receiver and why not? You know, I know that sometimes Andy Reid, especially early in the season will favor veterans. Well, next year Pringle's going to be a veteran and yeah. We'll see, too. I mean, Watkins right now is hurt, so we don't know how healthy he is necessarily going to be. I want to move on to Eric Bieniemy and some of the interviews that he is going through this week. We have a tracker going on at our website right now. He has reportedly interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons and Detroit Lions. Also, reportedly, the Jaguars are interested, and so are the... New York Jets at this point. John, when you look at the potential openings, where do you see the best fit for Eric Bieniemy? Yeah, the team that should be on that list is not on the list, the Houston Texans, which I think would be the best place for him. They've got the quarterback. They're not a division rival. <laughs> uh, you know, they've got some some room to improve. But, you know, maybe the Jets. You know, they've got some they've got some things going for them. The Jaguars do too. But to me, the best place for him has always been the Texans. But whether or not the Texans will see that is an open question. It would be fun to see him in Houston because he walks into a great quarterback situation. I mean, Deshaun Watson could be as good of, as any quarterback in the league right now. We just It's hard to tell when you're playing on a team that's 4-12. and 12. But I actually would say my, fa- my favorite would be Jacksonville. I think with all the, the cap room they have, their, the draft capital they have that he could use right away, that's the problem in Houston. He wouldn't have a first or a second round pick this upcoming season to work with. So it, it'd be fun to see him in Jacksonville, see him kind of uh, reshape a franchise with all of his own fingerprints. You know, he gets to pick the quarterback. He gets to, you know, sign uh, free agents with all that cap room. I mean, all the draft capital they have, he can bring in his own type of rookies to make an impact. So I would really like to see him in Jacksonville. I think that'd be a fun spot for him. And they do have some players already. They have some some young playmakers already kind of waiting for him. And if they get a quarterback in there, they could turn it around pretty quick. Right now, the odds say that the enemy is a favorite to land the Falcons and the Texans job. The Texans have the best odds right now, and perhaps that is a result of Deshaun Watson being rather vocal about wanting Bienemy. I would disagree a little bit. I would say that the best fit for Bienemy is with the Chargers. Let's not forget that he was a Charger during his playing career. He's from the California area. They also have a quarterback in position in Justin Herbert, who looks fantastic. And Jay Binkley has made this point to me on 610 Sports Radio, so I can't take credit for it, but I agree with it. Who better for the Chargers organization, if you can put yourself in their shoes, 
to try to counteract Andy Reid than someone that knows exactly his thought process every single game and can help the defensive staff. Not to say that if you know how they're going to operate, you're going to be able to stop it, but wouldn't you have a better chance if you know their thought process as they're coming up with game plans and who better than that? So to me, I think there's just too many reasons for the Chargers to go and get the enemy, whether or not it comes to fruition, I guess we'll see. Well, that's the problem, is that other teams are always going to try and figure out a way to beat you in your division. We saw that with the Raiders this year, that they were constructed specifically to beat Kansas City, and they actually pulled it off once and got to drive their bus around the stadium a couple of times. So uh, Highlight of the year. Yeah, yes. So this is uh, so this is the problem with being the five-time division champion, is that teams are going to do that. We, of course, don't want Eric Bieniemy to go to San Diego, to, excuse me, to Los Angeles. Correct. <laughs> As an old, old line guy, I can't, I still type San Diego half the time. When well, I'm, if he got that, if he got that job, I'm sure at some point he would make that mistake because he was never a Los Angeles charger. Right. He was a San Diego charger. <laughs> right. But, but you make a good point. They have the pieces that just like the Texans do. I just don't want it to happen. That's all I'm saying. I'm just putting that right there. Right. And that is what Andy Reid has kind of said throughout the week is that he would rather see the enemy in a place like the NFC where the Falcons, where maybe you see and play him once every six seasons or whatever it is when you play these NFC teams. It doesn't just stop with the offensive coordinator and a head coaching opportunity. The Carolina Panthers are interested in two personnel men for the Kansas City Chiefs. Ryan Poles, who is the director of player personnel, as well as Brant Tillis, the director of football administration. The Panthers reportedly interested in these two guys want to interview them for their vacant GM position. Don't forget Matt Rule is in place in Carolina. He ended up getting the job and the enemy did not. If you're wondering who these two guys are, I'll run through them quickly. Poles is like a right-hand man for Brett Veach. He came up as a scout, college scout. He has some sway in the draft room this year during the virtual draft. Poles was responsible for getting a medical doctor, the team doctor, into a one-on-one with Veach, a coach in for a one-on-one with Veach, a certain scout into the Zoom meeting for a one-on-one with Veach, really facilitated the draft, knew the board really well, so on and so forth. So this is someone who's pretty hands-on with the draft room and how the Chiefs are going to pick. And then Tillis, he was one half of this dynamic duo that was able to come up with salary cap answers to get guys like Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, et cetera, et cetera, under the salary cap for what will be 2020 and the run it back tour. This would be more of a fit for me, Tillis, because the Panthers supposedly want to give rule the control of the roster. Poles is more of a football man, and I think he gets a job when he has full control in that scenario. But Tillis, in my mind, would be someone maybe you bring in and says, all right, Rule's going to pick his players. Brant, you just figure out how to get him under this number, and we'll pay you a bunch of money to do it. Uh, Ron, how do you feel about these two guys and, and the Panthers' interest? Well, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, when NFL teams see the success the Chiefs are having, Plus the fact that you you see the Colts, how they've kind of turned themselves around since Chris Ballard got there. Chris Ballard wasn't was probably in a very similar position as these two. Right. Uh, I can't recall his exact position, but yeah. Probably was, more like Poles than Tillis, but you're correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I of course I'm surprised it hasn't they haven't gotten calls earlier on these two, but uh, better late than never. And uh, Carolina is one of those teams that could really be a, a scary team. I'm coming up. You, we saw them play this year. They were a pretty competitive team for, I think they finished a 5-11. and 11. Uh, They were in pretty much all the games. I mean, they took us down to the wire, the Chiefs down to the wire. So, uh, yeah, that's a good organization to hop onto. So, an, another Chiefs uh, personnel person going there would, uh, I, I think it'd be similar to a Chris Ballard, the success they'd have. As a fellow fantasy GM, I would say starting with Christian McCaffrey is like a cheat code. I, why wouldn't you want to do that? But, John, I know you don't play fantasy. I do have to ask you, though, is this a grand revenge for the Chiefs stealing Harrison Butker off the Panthers practice squad? No, I don't think so. I saw that today (laughs) and I thought, no, no, no. I mean, you know, you put a player on the practice squad, you know that potential is there. This isn't anything underhanded. 
you know, this is the, this is the way the rules are set up and you're taking a risk when you put a, a place kicker on your practice squad that a needy team is going to swoop in and pick them up when their kicker gets hurt. Hey, and that's exactly what happened. Right. So, yeah, I don't I don't buy that narrative at all. Uh, but I, I see why people think that. I, I see why people want to assign those kinds of motives to NFL executives, but I don't see it. For what it's worth, I see the Panthers doing their due diligence here. I think this is a sure. wide pool, and these guys are just getting their first crack. I don't see either of them getting this position, but it always remains to be seen. You never do know. Good sign that the Chiefs are starting to get requests like this because that it usually means you're building something really special in the city where these other teams are trying to attack you. John, you've been in charge of our playoff probability, and we're going to get into all six of the other AFC teams in our next segment. But right now, just in general, what does the percentage look like on who the Chiefs may play in a divisional round after wildcard weekend? Well, the math is fairly straightforward on this. You know, there's any number of places you can go to figure out what percentage is the chance that a particular team will win a playoff game. Then it's just a matter of carrying those percentages through. I've done it with 538.com. They're as good a place as any to get that information. And when you carry out the calculations right now, by a small margin, the most likely team the Chiefs would face is the Cleveland Browns but only by a small margin. It's 29% for the Browns, 27% for the Ravens, 24% for the Colts, and 20% for the Titans. And this is because we've got a lot of teams in the AFC playoff race that are 11-5. and five. And, uh, you know, a, a model like the ELO model that 538 uses is built entirely on wins, losses, and uh, point margin. So those 11 and 5 teams are going to, in ELO's estimation, are going to be very closely matched in the playoffs. And none of them have more than a a 3 and 4 chance to win their games. So it's kind of a toss-up. Sometimes you will see a clear favorite in a situation like this. I think last year there was one team that had a a much greater chance to play the Chiefs in the divisional round. But this year it's pretty much even just a slight chance that the Browns will be the team that comes to Kansas City. Yeah, and and what's interesting about the Browns right now is they're going through what is a really questionable COVID problem where their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, has become COVID positive. I, there's a number of players involved. This is something to monitor. Right now, it doesn't look like the NFL is going to change the game time for them this weekend. So they're moving forward without their head coach, which is unbelievable. Stefanski has been a big reason as to why the Browns were able to finally get through what was, I believe, is a 19-year hump of making the postseason and they're in. And now I believe the special teams coach is going to be their head coach for their playoff game. That would be in Kansas City, like Dave Tobe having to do the wild card round in place of Andy Reid. That is a huge disadvantage. So as much as the percentage says the Chiefs will see the Browns, remains to be seen if they can actually get through that problem and then go on and win their playoff game. The Browns, by the way, they're playing the... They're on the road against the Steelers. The Browns have the Steelers. So that's actually a little break for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we'll see if the, the Browns can get through that. All right. When we come back, it is Ron time. He got on our site and he went through the teams in the AFC you need to know about. We got some notes on each team coming up on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney hanging out with John Dixon and Ron Kopp. It is our playoff bi-week show right now at arrowheadpride.com. You can check out the winners and losers from the Chiefs' loss to the Chargers. We have our Week 17 defensive film review. That's up. We got our Eric Bieniemy hiring tracker. We got our playoff scenarios, which we just talked about. Power rankings. There's three Chiefs that made PFF's all-pro list for 2020. I just dropped an article revisiting the Clark Hunt decision to bring Andy Reid aboard seven years ago. And also on the site, you can read Ron's article about how each AFC playoff team could beat the Chiefs. The worst case scenario. What is the strategy that these teams could use 
to take on and beat Kansas City. Ron, you went in reverse order because the Chiefs, of course, will see the lowest seed that comes out of the wild card round. So let's start right there with the Indianapolis Colts. How do the Colts go on and beat the Chiefs? Well, first of all, I'll say that the Colts can only be seen in the divisional round. There's no way we could play them in the AFC Championship because if they win, they're automatically coming to Arrowhead. So this this potential matchup, it could only happen in the divisional round. And I think the big the big thing I picked out was DeForest Buckner. Um, he is as close to a copy of Chris Jones as there is in the NFL. Um, and I still say Chris Jones is a better player, but Buckner is just as disruptive as just as he can wreak havoc just as much. And he's not the only one in Indianapolis. Um, old friend Justin Houston has mm. has racked up eight sacks this year, and he's played well. Um, it, it, I think Kansas City fans were kind of got used to Houston not being a, a, that effective of a player down the stretch of his Kansas City career, but he's he's been a heck of a player for them this year, and especially with the the turnstile at right tackle we've had all year. If Justin Houston's taking advantage of that, um, plus the motivation of wanting to be his old team. Um, he could be a force as well, and uh, the Colts. The Colts' pass coverage is is really effective this year. It has been. They have a really good defense. Um, yeah, DVOA wise, one of the the best in the league, top ten. And I, I think if if those if those two, along with Danico Autry, which is another good pass rusher for them, if that trio of pass rushers can really wreak havoc on Mahomes, and uh, that that pass coverage behind them could take advantage of some some mistakes that Mahomes could potentially make. I think anytime you have a team that can rush with three or four, suddenly it becomes interesting if if the offense can stick with Mahomes. And <laughs> for me, I, I'm just not buying Phillip Rivers. Jonathan Taylor's kind of come into his own, but the Chiefs have been okay. Even when a team rushes on them, they score enough points where it becomes a non-factor. So I think... The Colts could make this interesting defensively, but it's hard to keep Patrick Mahomes in that offense under 30 points, John. I agree. I, I, I think you're right on the, the money there. And with regard to Houston, he's been playing with his hand in the dirt, right? Since he went to yes. Indianapolis. Is that right, Ron? Yes. Which is interesting to me that they made the choice to make him a true defensive lineman rather than some kind of linebacker hybrid who sometimes has his hand in the dirt and otherwise is dropping back into coverage and so on. And of course, defensive linemen do that too, but not to the same extent. So they've found a way to utilize him in the ways that the Chiefs did not, and it seems to have improved his effectiveness. So yes, uh, that would be the major worry to me is what that defensive line could do uh, to in the to stop Patrick Mahomes. But I agree with you, Pete. I, I just don't see that offense keeping track, uh, keeping up with uh, with the Chiefs offense. It's a shame, I think, for Chris Ballard because right now he should have a young 30s. Andrew Luck really dealt a bad hand. I think he's tried to make the most of it with Phillip Rivers. If Andrew Luck is the quarterback and it's not Rivers at the end of his career, I think that potential matchup is much more interesting and they're probably higher than what would be a seventh seed. Let's move on to the sixth seed. We just talked about them a little bit as far as the most likely team to play in the divisional round against the Chiefs, the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, the Browns, it's pretty obvious what they do well. They're a really high-volume, high-efficiency rushing attack. Uh, they have one of the best duos in the entire NFL, and we're obviously familiar with one of them. Um, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt averaged 4.9 yards per rush attempt this year together, um, and, and, and that helped them uh, become an offense that can sustain drives, which is obviously you know, something you want to do against Mahomes, keep him off the field, uh, you know, when you want to eat up that time of possession. Um, they've they've held they've on average had the third longest drives by time of possession in the NFL this year, um, but they're those are the big names. Uh, Chubb and Hunt are just the the highlight. You know you, you see them in the highlights, but you may not know that the Browns' offensive line has been as dominant as any this year, both pass blocking and run blocking when they're at full health. Because and I say that because right guard Wyatt Teller, who is PFF's highest graded run blocking offensive lineman this year. Uh, he has missed a few games, and that's really when they've uh, dropped down and and how successful they have been on offense when he's missed games. When he's in the lineup, they are really tough to stop. Um, it, just with and especially now that Baker's playing a lot well down the stretch of the season, Baker Mayfield, um, he's using uh, the 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 heavier boxes. He's taking advantage of those and and making plays off of play action. Do that receiving group that doesn't have Odell Beckham anymore. 
But Jarvis Landry is a good player, obviously. They have a good uh, couple of tight ends. And there are some uh, some underrated uh, other wide receivers that they have that they use um, that could cause some trouble. So I, I do think uh, if the Browns, if, I should say, if any NFL team can pull off that cliche uh, strategy of keep Mahomes off the field, run the ball, you know, right. all that, um, I, I do think it is the Cleveland Browns that could do it. Yeah, and the offensive line has had to be dominant because it does seem like Baker Mayfield plays a little bit better when that play action is cooking. And he has been one of those quarterbacks, especially early on in the year, where if you can get any pressure on him, you feel pretty good about winning the football game. The Browns are not a team that scares me yet. I think they got some pieces that make some interesting in the future. John, how do you feel about the Browns? Well, I, I think that that Ron's exactly right. If it's possible to beat the Chiefs by time of possession, by running the ball, the Browns are the team to do it. Uh, Ron, you mentioned Wyatt Teller, but you know PFF has Jack Conklin on their all-pro team uh, in the article I just wrote on Arrowhead Pride. That information was in there. So that's the whole right side of their line. They've got some quality guys on that offensive line, and that's part of the reason they're so effective at rushing the football. I'm just not convinced um, and I've come to this conclusion in the last couple of years, you know, I used to be a guy I'd say, oh yeah, you got a great quarterback on the other side, then run the ball, keep the ball out of their hands. But the teams that try and do that against the chiefs, it doesn't work. And I've come to realize that the reason for this is that even if you run the ball and chew up a lot of clock, the other team still gets the ball. And you, you know, even if you take time away from the chiefs, they'll just score faster. They have this ability to uh, score at the pace they want to, which renders this strategy ineffective. But I agree. If it will work, the Browns are the team to do it. <laughs> Quick note on the Browns. I will say this. I think the Chiefs have been looking to have a running back unit like the Browns have yes. had for a while now. I think Clyde's the first piece of that. It's finding piece number two. I think they thought that potentially Le'Veon could be an answer, and he still can. Maybe in the playoffs, it really hasn't looked anything close to what the Browns or, for example, that Dobbins-Edwards connection is in Baltimore is another good example. I just don't think that the Chiefs are there yet, and they'll be pursuing that one-two type of punch until they feel comfortable with two backs doing what teams like the Browns and Ravens, who we're actually about to talk about, like to do. What do you have on the Ravens, Ron? With the Ravens, man, it's 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 tough to to find something because honestly, we've seen this matchup three times now, and the Chiefs have won each game for a reason. They the Ravens do not match up well. What they want to do really does just play into the hands of what the Chiefs do successfully. They're a blitz heavy team, but if you blitz Mahomes, he's going to take advantage of, it, and that's exactly what he's done each time they've played. And they really just do not have the offensive uh, weaponry or um, explosiveness to keep up once they are down. Um, they just do not have the big pass passing game um, that you, you'd want to see from a team that's trailing. And uh, when you're playing the Chiefs, you're probably, you might be trailing at some point. That's just, that's just part of it. So I, what, what I went in and, and thought about was the really only chance is to kind of change how they play. Play more conservatively on defense, uh, you know, how the rest of the NFL plays the Chiefs most of the time. Sit back in coverage, kind of lull them to sleep, kind of, you know, maybe hope Mahomes, you know, hope Mahomes tries to force something at some point. Um, don't let him get McCole Hardman one-on-one with, a, uh, you know, a safety or, you know, Tyreek Hill one-on-one. You, you know, uh, play some back zone coverage, let them run the ball, let them, you know, uh, right. kind of do what, what, they, what you do to other teams. And then I'd also say on offense, obviously, come out strong, come out fast. And I will note uh, the, the week three game, again, the Chiefs and the Ravens played, the Ravens came out and drove down the field on the opening drive all the way into the red zone um, pretty easily, I would say. The Chiefs did hold them to a field goal, and then they kind of uh, tightened up and didn't let them do much after that. Um, but if the Ravens can convert early drives like that into touchdowns and, and can get ahead somewhat and they can play their style – uh, yeah, there, there's absolutely a reason to see the the Ravens being able to beat the Chiefs. I think they're playing some of their best football right now. The Ravens look as good to me right now as they did in 18 when Mahomes needed a fourth and nine pass to win that football game. That's Tyree Kill. And that's one of my favorite Mahomes throws of his career is when you need nine yards and they get like 45 or whatever it was. And it's welcome to the era of Mahomes. I mean, that was a, a, a picture-perfect situation for that. And the, the Ravens are playing, I think, right now, 
as good as they were back then when they were on the come up. They had a really, I think, steep decline because they were right there with the Chiefs ahead of this season. They were playing some really bad football. Now it seems like they're clicking on all cylinders. I think the key, and granted, I know this is way easier said than done, but when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens, it's just keeping everything in front of you. It seems like teams start to get really overwhelmed when all of a sudden Jackson is behind you, Dobbins is behind you. Jackson, you think is going to run, all of a sudden... Marquise Hollywood Brown is somehow wide open in the secondary. You know, I think Juan Thornhill comes into play. Is he going to be truly ready for this? And so the Ravens are one of those teams that gives me a little bit of pause when it comes to the postseason for the Chiefs. How do you feel, John? Uh, Well, I agree. And, um, you know, yes, the Chiefs have won all three of these matchups, but sometimes they've been close games that were in doubt until late in the game. So there's every reason to be worried about them. But I think, Ron, you've analyzed this exactly right that they're going to have to find a way to play outside of their style early in the game and get ahead because that's where their advantages will come into play. If they can get ahead, then they can run the ball. That's where being effective at running the ball is the most help in the NFL, is protecting a lead. And if they can get ahead and play their game, the Chiefs are going to have to work hard to beat them. But I, but I think you're right. It's going to be hard for them to do that. And if they don't, they're going to be in trouble. We got three teams behind us and three teams left. Let's keep it going with the number four seed in the AFC in the Tennessee Titans. The headline, I should say, with the Titans is, you know, Derrick Henry rushed for 2,027 rushing yards this year. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's crazy. But I don't think that's really what needs to be focused on in this matchup, uh, the potential matchup. It's Ryan Tannehill in the passing offense. Uh, Tannehill has been as efficient as any quarterback in the NFL this year. Um, he's he's the top. Uh, he has the highest passer rating of any NFL quarterback off of play action. Um, and the, obviously that's going to work when you have a running back like Derrick Henry uh, forcing the linebackers to kind of want to uh, step up a little bit closer so uh, they can hit him before he gets a full head of steam and runs right over them. Right. Um, so I think I think with Henry's uh, rushing ability, um, I think it gives Tannehill the ability to find open seams in the in the intermediate areas when those linebackers do step up, when the safeties are creeping up. Um, that's going to give AJ Brown and Corey Davis those windows uh, to find for Tannehill to find them, and they have been very good receivers. They're not just they're uh, they're two of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. They don't get talked about as uh, these elite receivers. Maybe it's because they don't play in an offense that is pass happy like uh, we are here in Kansas City or in Buffalo. Um, But A.J. Brown is as good as any receiver in that class that he came out of a couple years ago. And Corey Davis is going to be a a free agent that makes a lot of money in this offseason. And when that running game is working and and those two can get behind the safety group, um, you know, we've seen Juan Thornhill this year. He's, He's playing, but He's not 100%, um, you know, maybe uh, just one false step and and he gets and he lets someone get behind him. Uh, these corners have been playing well, but their physicality, A.J. Brown and Corey Davis's physicality matches what Breeland and Ward can bring. Uh, that's usually where they win is the fact that they are more, uh, you know, physically capable uh, against other receivers that are maybe not as strong as them, as lengthy as them. But these receivers are and they will they'll be able to make catches over them, uh, play through physicality, play through press. And it, it, I, I think the passing game is what's really going to be the difference maker in this game and what could really be – it could really be a shootout in this game if uh, both uh, Derrick Henry's running well and Tannehill's feeling it. Right. I, I agree with a lot of your points. To me, it is the Derrick Henry team. Like the Titans are synonymous with Henry, just like Mahomes is synonymous with the Chiefs. So to me, there's emphasis on a guy like Nadi, Pinnell, Clark comes to mind, Tim Ward the other night. Wow, that's a guy who, if he's keeping up with skinnier type of running backs, maybe that's a guy that you you think about playing in a Henry type of matchup. Turk Wharton is another one. Who knows what Colin Saunders? I watched the Packers and the Titans game, and I know what you mean about Corey Davis. He's been especially good this year. Jair Alexander did a really nice job in the secondary when it came to curbing the Titans in their matchup. And he's granted, you know, one of the better cornerbacks in the league. But the Chiefs really feel like they may have that in uh, what would be Legereus Sneed. So I think you combine the Sneed factor with Matthew and and how up he gets for the playoffs. You have your concerns about Thornhill, but I, I, I believe in the Chiefs' defensive game plan against a team like the Titans. And again, you always go back to what will be a fresh 
and the most explosive offense in the NFL. John, what do you think about the Titans? When I think about those two games we played against the Titans last year, one of them a narrow loss and one of them a big victory that started out really badly, uh, I think, Pete, you're right, that it's the Derrick Henry team. And the difference in those two games was whether the Chiefs were able to handle Derrick Henry. Uh, he put up a lot of yards in that regular season loss and a game where they scored a lot of points. And then in the postseason, the Chiefs held him down, and that allowed them to take away their passing game. So I agree with you too, Ron, that the passing game is going to be key against the Titans. But the way you defeat their passing game is to take away Derrick Henry so they can't go to play action. So I think you both have really good points about how this game could play out for the Chiefs if that's what happens in the divisional round. And I, and I will say, uh, out of all these teams on this list, the Titans' defense is, is probably the worst. Um, right. it, it, it's, been, it's been getting run through all year, passed over all year. Um, so I think the passing game becomes a lot bigger of a, a deal for the Titans because um, they, they're going to have to put up at least you know 35, if not way more, um, with the way the Chiefs' offense is going to be coming out in the postseason game wanting to put up as many points as possible. Um, so that's, that's where the pass game comes in a lot more, too. All right, let's move on to the third seed, the worst team in the AFC, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, yeah. Uh, the, the, this, this is the team I'm the least worried about, I'm going to be honest. Um, if, there's, if we see, we won't see Pittsburgh uh, until the AFC Championship if they do get that far. Um, they would not be able to play us in the divisional round, play the Chiefs in the divisional round. Um, but if there's a team that, that uh, the Chiefs can exploit, um, it's in this playoff picture pretty easily, it's Pittsburgh. Um, it, it's easy to see how they could, the Pittsburgh could come in and win. Um, their passer just has to play at, an, at a superhuman level. And there's a couple of superhumans on that, on that group that, that could do it. Uh, TJ Watt is, is probably the defensive player of the year. I can't imagine... Uh, maybe Xavier Howard in Miami with the 10 interception gets him, but TJ Watt has 15 sacks this year and he has the second most pressures out of all edge defenders. And he's just been dominant. Uh, he, he also leads the league in quarterback hits by actually, a, a you know, four or five. Um, next to him, though, is defensive tackle Stephen Stephon Tuitt, who has, has been a, a decent player all his career, but this year has just really stepped up and become a, a force in the middle. Mm. Um, so he, he's, a, he's a great pass rusher as well. He, he's fourth in the NFL in, pa, in pr, uh, pressures. So those are two of the top four pressures, uh, pressure getters in the entire NFL, and neither of them played in Week 17. Uh, Watt didn't play in Week 17. I'm not 100% sure about to it. Um, so I, that, that gives you pause right there with, with the way the Chiefs' pass protection has played in recent weeks. Uh, you think about the Saints game, how Mahomes was getting smacked around. That right. could, that could be a, it could be a similar situation as that. The difference uh, with Pittsburgh is you're not worried about their offense. Um, it, there's just no reason to really be. And uh, the rest of their defense, in my opinion, isn't isn't very uh, talented. Um, they they have some some individual talents in spots, yeah. but um, their secondary is is definitely exploitable, especially with the with such a deep receiving core as the Chiefs have. And they've had some injuries at linebacker, so it's really that front set, that front four that gives you uh, some some reason for worry uh, when you play Pittsburgh. But uh, like I said at the, the top of this, um, they're the team I'm probably the least concerned with uh, coming in and taking out the Chiefs and Arrowhead. Yeah, I think there's a reason that the Browns were the higher percentage on Jod's probability list. They're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. I understand the Browns had a game with a lot of the Steelers' backups last week. It doesn't matter to me. The, the playoffs are a different animal. The only thing that to me now would give the Browns a disadvantage to pulling this off is this COVID stuff. You take that out of it. I would have been picking the Browns in this game. I, I look at the Steelers and it reminds me a lot like the 2013 Kansas city chiefs. And if in my head, hypothetically, if I match up the 2013 Kansas city chiefs and the 2020 Kansas city chiefs in the most important game of the year, the 2020 Kansas city chiefs are winning by 17. Now, that being said, I predicted the Chiefs to win by 17 the last seven weeks, and I was wrong seven weeks in a row. So <laughs> who knows if that is even a good sign, John? Yeah. Well, I, I kept thinking while Ron was going through his analysis of the Steelers team was, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Who would have thought that the Chiefs could face the Steelers in the postseason and we'd be saying things like, well, you don't have to worry about that Steelers offense. You know, Ben Roethlisberger has really taken a step backwards. 
He's still got Juju in there, you know, uh, and then we're still at the point where we're saying, yeah, we don't really need to worry about the Steelers offense. We just need to worry about the Steelers defense. And that's not the kind of thing I would expect to have thought about the 2020 postseason at the beginning of this year. And through the period of time that they were winning, what was it ended up being 11 straight or whatever before they, they became a punching bag at right. the end of the season. So I, I like your comparison to the 2013 Chiefs team. I think that's exactly right, Pete. Yeah, and they've they've lost some key contributors. I mean, it was a different story too when they still had Bud Dupree going, and I, it's just a different team now. All right, want to get to our last seed, which is number two seed Bills. I will say this about this year's AFC playoffs: I think the Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't have my mind blown if the Chiefs somehow lost to the Ravens or this number two team in the Bills. The other teams, if one of these other teams knocks off the Chiefs, I'm a surprised person. So let's get to to the second team that, in my mind, that has a chance, and that's the Buffalo Bills. I probably agree with you on that. Um, it, Bills and Ravens are definitely the two I'm 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 the most concerned of seeing. Um, and I think the Bills have earned the right to to uh, have that reputation, I guess now um, to have that respect because um, they are playing an outstanding football, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Josh Allen is, I mean, if he would have, if he wouldn't have had uh, a little bit of a, a slow stretch, uh, kind of when we play or the chiefs played him in week five, six, that, that little area of the season, he might be just as uh, much of an MVP candidate as Mahomes um, or Aaron Rodgers, just the way he's played uh, down the final, the second half of the year. Um, and, and that offense, they have one of the most, uh, I would say one of the most talented receiving cores in the NFL um, Stephon Diggs led the entire league in receptions and receiving yards this year. Um, John Brown is always a threat to get behind you and, 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 and win, especially with Allen, who can throw it, you know, 70, 75 yards in the air. Um, but then there's Cole Beasley. Uh, Cole Beasley is a, is a great slot receiver. Uh, and I, I, I listened to the, the Athletics uh, podcast that they, they did first team all pro, second team all pro. Cole Be- they they announced Cole Beasley as the the best slot receiver in in the NFL to you know first team slot receiver they they made a designation for that and so he's going to be the toughest matchup that Legarius Sneed has has seen yet Sneed's been great Sneed's been you know debatably one of the best defensive rookies in the entire NFL um, but the way Be- Beasley's not only a very quick very athletic uh, player that can get open by himself he's also very smart and he he knows how to how to maybe take advantage of a rookie like Sneed. Um, so that those three receivers really, really, uh, along with Allen, just could really put up a lot of points on the Chiefs defense. You know, there's reason to be confident in the Chiefs defense that they could they could counter them. But at the same time, if there's any offense that can that can uh, go with the Chiefs in a shootout and potentially outscore them, it is Buffalo at this point. And I, I do find it uh, it's almost frustrating a little bit uh, that as a Chiefs fan that. You know, they are, they're a lot of people's favorite to go to the AFC or to go to the Super Bowl to win the AFC. A lot of people are starting to, you know, they, they see the Chiefs haven't, you know, covered the spread in eight straight games, right. you know, all that kind of stuff. And Buffalo has been playing hot. And, you know, I, I, as much as a Chiefs fan as you want to just push back on that and say, hey, you know, we're the defending champs, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's no reason to think a team can take us down right now. I, it, it's it's okay to understand that the Bills can. They are playing that good of football. And uh, if we do get this matchup in the AFC Championship, it is going to be a fun game. I can tell you that much. They got the three ingredients, man. They, they're playing well. They have that front four slash three, if they want to rush three, that can get pressure on Mahomes and contain Mahomes while dropping defenders back in the secondary. And they have a good potent offense with a really, really strong quarterback. And really the run game, you know, I even felt a little bit better about the Chiefs matchup when Moss wasn't getting as many reps. Moss looks really good. They're, they're back. And they got that one-two punch thing going on with, with Devin Singletary. To your last point, there's still this mentality factor in football. And I do get that sense that the Bills are feeling themselves a little bit. So much so that Sean McDermott had to say in an interview this week, you know, we got to win this first game first. You're hearing Team of Destiny. You're hearing When Are They Going to Arrowhead. You're hearing Super Bowl. That is prevalent in Buffalo. It is loud. We heard it in Kansas City before the Chiefs were really ready to make that that next step. During that year where Mahomes lost to Brady in what was that overtime AFC game, the Chiefs were supposed to go to the Super Bowl. I think this is new for the Bills. 
I think they got to take care of business first. There are, as much as I say, two teams scare me in the AFC, and they are the Ravens and the Bills. Let's see how they do in these earlier games before you would get to an AFC title game, because there does feel a little bit of that slight, we're looking ahead too fast scenario in Buffalo. I agree with that, Pete, because again, go back to the 2013 Chiefs. You know, I think a lot of people uh, thought the Chiefs were going to do better that season after that 9-0 and start and were bitterly disappointed by a close loss in the playoffs, which in any other season might have just been shrugged off. Well, okay, so we lost a game by a couple of points. But instead, people went nuts about it because the Chiefs had led by such a large margin in the game. But hey, it's the playoffs. You're playing a good team. You're playing Andrew Luck for crying out loud. If there's anybody who can come back on a big lead, it's a quarterback with that kind of talent. And I never understood why people just went nuts about the Chiefs losing that lead in the second half. After all, the Chiefs had put up that lead in one half of football. It's a playoff game. These things are going to happen. So I, I definitely see that aspect of it is that the, the Bills are really feeling themselves. And that's an, an, going to be an issue for not only the team, but for its fans. But, you know, you guys are talking about the the Bills and the Ravens being, you know, the teams you're really worried about in the playoffs. Well, these are the two teams in the AFC playoffs that the Chiefs have already beaten. So, you know, then that brings up another question. Would you rather, when you're going to play a team in the regular season in the playoffs, would you rather lose the first game or win the first game? I would rather the Chiefs never saw them because I, <laughs> I think playing the yeah. Chiefs in it in yeah. itself is a shock factor. Or it's like what they're they you know I, I think it's one thing to see Kelsey and Hill and Watkins and Hardman and Andy Reid running Ferrari right, but to have to defend it and you have all this movement and you don't know where the ball is going, you don't know where the ball is. You could keep it, you could run it, so on and so forth. I mean, I'd rather that shock factor be there. Granted, it it's got to feel good for the Chiefs and they got to feel confident going into the game, knowing that they were able to knock off both of these teams. Yeah, uh, I'll add real quick though that uh, to to that point, I think if any if anyone gets an advantage from playing earlier in the year, I think Josh Allen does over the Chiefs defense or the you know just the Chiefs in general. I think it gives Allen an advantage over anything right. uh, that he's already seen the Chiefs. Um, the Allen defense. looked. I mean, it was a weather game, but Allen looked terrible that night. But yes. you he would rather, I'm sure, have that look than no look at all. You know, it, there is an advantage I think to just seeing the same personnel again. And right there is why we should be worried about these two teams that we've already beaten, is that they have seen the Chiefs and played the Chiefs this season and have learned lessons from it. So you're probably both right to to say, you know, the, the, the Ravens and the Bills are the teams to be worried about uh, for that reason. But then again, the Chiefs have already beaten them. So we'll just have to see how this plays out. Check out Ron's article as how each AFC playoff team could beat the Chiefs. You could, of course, complain about it. In the comments. <laughs> Finally, our favorite part of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. It's the best Chiefs thing I heard all week. Chris Broussard of The Odd Couple talking about the MVP race between Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? Rodgers has been good and he's been great. I, I, I will have no problem with him winning the MVP. He's been that good. There's no doubt about it. But my thing is this, Rob. I really believe Pat Mahomes has become a victim of his own greatness. I mean, it, what was it? Maybe three weeks ago when he began, quote, unquote, falling off. <laughs> I mean, if they have a close game, people act like, oh, uh, you know, Mahomes just isn't, you know, he's he not really playing like he was a few weeks ago. He not not doing what he did last year or the year before. What? They can't have a close game? <laughs> they can't have a few close games? If he doesn't throw for 400, we're like, what is up with Pat Mahomes? See, this stuck with me. And it was less the idea that Mahomes has normalized greatness because we've talked about that in Kansas City quite a bit. It's that the national narrative has found a way to make 14 and one less impressive. If the Chiefs have gone 14 and 0 and then lost a game, 
I don't know if the close games would have mattered as much. I think that people would have just been focused on the fact that they won 14 out of 15 games, but they had that one loss to the Raiders, which, you know, with the way the Raiders finished, you would not want to lose necessarily to the Las Vegas Raiders. But because there were all these close games and because maybe the Chiefs were playing with fire a little bit, which I can admit, it, it became less impressive. No, they won 14 games out of 15 against NFL teams. And I love that point from Bruchard because he's finally recognizing that. I'll be on record and I'll tell you, I think Rodgers should win the MVP. I'm, I'm okay saying that. The numbers are just too different. And I know maybe we shouldn't look about the numbers. And I get that argument. But we've looked at numbers for the entire time that we've given out this award. So to just ignore them because Mahomes is on the wrong side of it, I don't think is fair. So give Rodgers the MVP award. But the lack of Chiefs respect for close games and not their record does bother me a little bit. No, hey, I, I was going to say, did, are you sure that wasn't an audio file from something I said? Because I, <laughs> perfectly. I, I couldn't, I, it's frustrated me to no end how I get Rodgers as the MVP, but how quickly he's, he's like, it, it's, it's a landslide now. It's not even a right. question anymore. And I right. don't think that's really fair because Rodgers had a game earlier in the year where they lose 38 to 10. He throws a couple picks. I think a pick six, two. I mean, they look awful, but it happened week four or five. Mahomes has a game, uh, you know, a, a pretty bad game against Atlanta. Uh, we still win. Uh, <laughs> he still throws a game winning touchdown pass. Um, but it just seems like uh, both players have had, you know, uh, a one bad game. It seems like uh, one right. bad game and just Mahomes happened to have it in week and, 15. Yeah. And, and there was one, part of the loss and John, I'll get to you in just one second. There was one part of the loss too, that was a little bit hidden. I think this year, because we don't know necessarily the calls and Travis Kelsey went on Twitter right after the loss and said, this was my fault. And no one really understood what, what he was oh, talking right. about. Yeah. And he blamed it on himself. And apparently maybe he was trying to do too much or something. There was some kind of missed call. Maybe he was supposed to run a certain route. Mahomes had told him something. He didn't do it or didn't run a hot route, whatever. He, he, he took the blame for it and he talked about it later on and he said, I was selfish in that game. We don't really know what the hell he was talking about. So the only reason that the Chiefs were even in that game were because Mahomes rallied them back from eight points down. Like down. If that's the difference and say, you know, that game goes in the Chiefs' favor and right now the Chiefs are 15-0 or let's say they were 15-0 and, and they ended up playing their starters against LA because they wanted an opportunity for this history. Who knows? I don't know if Andy Reid would have done that. This is a hypothetical world. And now you have numbers that are just slightly below Rodgers. Is Mahomes still this low? You know, is it that much of a landslide in favor of Rodgers? I don't think it is. And so it, it's funny, you know, they, it, they use that cliche so often, game of inches. Man, it's awards of inches. It's playoffs of inches. <laughs> it's so on and yeah. so forth. Well, I am not familiar in with any reality in which a show called The Odd Couple stars someone named Chris Bouchard. So I just want to start with that, <laughs> that I'm an old guy and I don't know what the hell you're talking about on that. That said, I agree with him that uh, the, Mahomes has been treated a little differently this year with regard to the MVP race. But let's not forget, this is not actually a race. Nobody knows how the MVP voters are going to go. There, there's not a poll that goes on every two weeks and we can see, oh, more of the MVP voters are supporting Mahomes now than we're oh, no. before. Oh, my God, Rogers. John. Did you just give NFL Network and ESPN another idea that we have to cover? Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sorry. Please. Take that back. We're talking about betting odds here, okay, which is what the public thinks. And the public is following the stats, and that's okay. The public can follow the stats. The public can decide for themselves uh, you know, what the MVP should be, that's fine. And that's what controls the betting odds. But the MVP voters, in theory, are going to vote for, you know, the most valuable player. And I think that's Patrick Mahomes. I don't think there's any quarterback in the league who is more important to their team than Patrick Mahomes. If we're just talking about who had the greater statistical season, absolutely, Aaron Rodgers is the guy. And if that's the basis on which they're going to award it, then he's going to get it and he's going to deserve it. But I just feel like, you know, it ought to be the player that's the most important to their team and does so in a way that's better than any other best player on a team. 
And to me, that's going to be Patrick Mahomes. The problem with that, of course, is that that could be the case for the next 10 seasons. <laughs> and I don't see where, I don't think we're going to see Mahomes win it for 10 seasons. You heard it here first. Take the plus 1600 on Patrick Mahomes, who's now <laughs> third. He's third in odds when it comes to MVP voting. So we will see how that plays out. That'll, of course, take place after the playoffs. And I believe it's awarded on Saturday before the Super Bowl. So we will see if, right. yeah. if Mahomes is able to rally back in the eyes of the betters and the voters and so on and so forth and win this thing. Well, it was a good show. I'd like to thank Ron Kopp. like to thank John Dixon. Keep locked in at ourheadpride.com for all your Chiefs news and notes. We'll be covering who the Chiefs may face. We may know as early as that first game if the Colts are able to defeat the Buffalo Bills. That'll make quick work of it and we'll know that the Chiefs are playing the Colts for eight days, giving Andy Reid another day of full preparation. But again, the Bills, of course, are favored in that game. So keep it locked in at ArrowheadPride.com for those news and notes. And also the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network coming up tomorrow. It's the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory with Ken Swanson, Matt Lane, and Barley Hop, the Renaissance man, Craig Stout, everyone's favorite Arrowhead Pride writer. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. This has been a great episode of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show.